podcast where we talk about our book of the week. I'm Anna Bailey Karras and I'm here with Annie Waters. Hello, Annie. Hello. And baby Otto, who's not speaking just yet. <laughs> not um, quite. But he's adding value. He will maybe make some sounds. So if you hear some, that's not me or Anna. <laughs> and this week we're here with our best books of 2023. And Amanda couldn't be with us, but she has sent hers in, which is fantastic. So we normally don't do any book news with the best books of, but we thought we'd quickly mention, because we haven't done it yet on the podcast, the Booker Prize winner reveal, which was... <gasps> Profit Song by Paul Lynch. I think everyone was thinking it would be one of the Pauls, and it was. So good for him. I've started it, and I'm probably a third of the way through, and it is pretty bleak. It's beautiful. I'm struggling to go back to it because it's just one of those books where there's not much light and shade, you know? It's, it's very beautiful. I can see that it's a very worthy winner. But it's just a bit grim for me at the moment. So I don't know if I'll finish it. But I'm interested to know what happens. Do you know yes. the premise of the book? No. Oh, no, I don't. I so think it's it was kind inspired of by the Syrian war is yeah. what I've heard. So it's set, I think, in Ireland in sometime in the future. It's not clear how far in the future. And a very far right nationalist party has taken over the government. And they've started cracking down on all sorts of people and professions. And the woman that you follow... Her husband is a union member and he's been getting some threats and then he disappears and so she's left with their four children and she's kind of holding the fort. I think what will happen, what seems to be happening, is that she's going to kind of take matters into her own hands and try and find out what's happened to him. It reminds me a bit of Milkman. The writing is just luminous but it's not quite enough at the moment to keep me... Sounds very thought-provoking. So that was Prophet Song, which has won the Booker Prize 2023. Well done to Paul Lynch. And on to our best books of 2023. So I'm going to... Shall I kick off, Annie? And I've got these in no particular order, but the first one is one that we have done on the podcast and it's Collected Works by Lydia Sandgren, translated by Agnes Brumay. Oh, wow. Yes, which <laughs> Annie didn't love as much as I did, so she might find this interesting. But it was, I think, what set it apart. I had about ten that I wanted to include and I was... It's really always the way, isn't it? Always the way and I was diligently trying to whittle it down to three. Uh, this one wasn't a perfect novel. And we talked about how it was a bit long and we didn't like the main character, Martin, although he was really brilliantly drawn, but we just didn't enjoy his company necessarily. But to me, it felt very fresh. It stood out in terms of the writing, to me at least, was really compulsive. I really wanted to keep turning the pages. I loved how she just got into these characters' lives and, just, and it was so on point, so rich. There were so many literary and art references but not in a pompous way. Mm. And I was really intrigued despite well, – I think we all agreed that Marcus was pretentious and selfish and all of these other faults that we've detailed. At length on at, my behalf, yeah, sorry. <laughs> at length in the previous episode of uh, – the episode we did on collected works – but um, there was something about it. I love the Gothenburg setting. It had that European sensibility. As we talked about, it reminded me a bit of The Hummingbird by Sandro Berenice. It had that compulsiveness of the Eleanor Ferrante Neapolitan mm. Quartet. It was very on point in terms of the creation, the creative process mm. or not as it 
as it happens with Martin, complex characters, the art monster theme, which mm. is always really fun. And she has been described as Sweden's Sally Rooney. Mm. And I can see some parallels, but this is a very different vibe, I think. But so I just thought it stood out as being really interesting and fresh and so well written. And so that was, I'm putting it in the top three. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. What well, actually leads neatly on to my, one of my best reads of the year. I read a few books about art this year. So there was Collected Works, which obviously has um, an artist and a writer at the core. My Devotion by Julia Kernanon, which I think I spoke about on a previous episode, just maybe mentioned in passing. Companion Piece by Ali Smith, season yeah. series, and then this is the companion volume to it. They're all centre around an artist. We love Ali Smith. And it got me thinking I wanted to, when I was at uni, I did a course that was kind of talking about the history of art. And I remember loving when you study a specific piece and kind of look into the social and political things that it re reveals about the time that the piece was created in. So I wanted to read a book that was kind of non-fiction about art. And I ended up with this one called Seven Days in the Art World by Sarah Thornton. And it's not quite exactly what I wanted, I don't think, but I absolutely loved it. So it's a little bit dated at this point. I think it came out in about 2015 and it's about the contemporary art world. And so over the course of seven chapters, she kind of takes a deep dive into seven aspects of the the contemporary art world so she goes and hangs out in Miyazaki's studio for example yeah. and she spends time at an auction at an auction house she spends time in a gallery with gallerists she spends time at a university with kind of people who are learning the craft of fine art and contemporary art in particular which I think is an interesting mm. subset I loved the way that she you kind of meet all of these characters she has such a good quick eye to you know sketch a person you can absolutely see who this character is she comes back to some of the same people across the same uh, across the different chapters but you get this real insider's view of the contemporary art world the art market in particular it's much it's a lot more about commerce than I think I wanted but I was fascinated about how art is bought and sold and I mean you would have a, a view of this as well I think I read this yeah. a few years ago and it's really eye-opening yeah it's fascinating and it's quite funny you know she doesn't spare any of these people but also she's very I think understanding that every person in this world makes it go around and you can't really take any of them away otherwise it will crumble even if you think one job is more worthy than the others or everyone has a view on you know where the art and the money kind of intersect and what ratio that should be <laughs> divided up into and how important those things should be so I really really enjoyed it it was just kind of a surprise really good easy reading non-fiction that I just loved and I've actually ordered her, her previous book which is on the music industry it's a really good behind the scenes Mm. isn't it and so Sarah Thornton is mm. the author yeah fantastic well let's do one of Amanda's and have to thank Amanda because she had one that was also on my list so I was able to uh, <laughs> add another in, one <laughs> at, fit in another one and that was Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver so I don't feel like this is news to any of our listeners it, it, it's been such a huge hit I think of mm. 2023 it was did it win the Women's Prize? Yeah. It won the Women's Prize and it was on the long list for the booker, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And then I don't think it was on the short list. No. But there you go. Everyone has different views. But we absolutely loved it. As Amanda said, we did do a whole episode on it on the podcast. We won't don't need to rehash the detail, but it's the story of Demon Copperhead. It's a loose retelling of David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. So there are lots of Easter eggs there if you have read David 
David Copperfield, which I hadn't and still absolutely loved it. So you can go either way. Um, but this boy, Demon Copperhead, grows up in Virginia, largely in the foster care system. There are lots of barriers to his success. They appear insurmountable, um, one obstacle after another. And notably, there's a sporting industry and then he's prescribed OxyContin. And so that we see in the gritty detail, his hellish descent into addiction. And at times, Amanda says it was tough to read, but because it is Barbara Kingsolver and her genius touch makes it compelling. What elevated the book for her was that as a reader, you absolutely barrack for Demon. His wit, his instinct for survival carry you along. And I echo that completely. I think the voice was so strong and so engaging in this book. And I don't necessarily always love books from a child's point of view or it becomes a teen's point of view, but she makes him so witty, so knowing. He's such a survivor. At the same time, it's that's very poignant because you you can see how tough things are for him and yet he's got this bravado and this great resilience and it just makes it so irresistible to read. And then, of course, her writing is so strong anyway and you get a real insight into this part of the world which Barbara Kingsolver knows very well because she's grown up there. That is it Appalachia. Really insightful and compassionate, Amanda says, a look at uh, what it's like to live in the world of broken home and poverty overlaid with the opioid crisis in the US. She was also quite fascinated to learn more about that and there was a Netflix series, Painkiller, that she watched. So her Amanda's sort of criteria in terms of her best books, the ones that she didn't want to put down, the ones that she wanted to find out more about the issues or the topics raised in the book or and or the book stayed with her long after she read it. So that's always good to because how do you decide? I know. The, the books are also different, aren't they? So shall I do another one of mine? And since we are talking about art, I'm going to go back to Girl in a Pink Dress by Carly Needham oh. because we're on an art theme. Let's embrace it. Totally. And again, we've done this on the podcast. In fact, I interviewed Carly, which was really special. Carly Needham's an Australian author and this is a really beautifully spare quite short mm. Australian novel with a, a real sensibility of the, the landscape and the setting of Australia. So you get that that feel throughout the novel. And it's set in Bald Hill, which is a small country town in New South Wales. And it's about the artist Frances, who's in her 40s, making a living out of uh, making a living out of her art, but it's a modest career. But she's invited to a large retrospective exhibition which is of the art of her former partner Clem Hughes and Clem was is a rock star artist and he's from art royalty his father was a twice Archibald winner very very high profile and they'd got into a relationship when he was her art teacher and she was a student so now she can look back on that and we do go back a bit in time and of course you see it perhaps with a different lens but it's a very beautifully nuanced portrait of that relationship where you do see that they were happy or, you know, you do see it as... You, you it's see not necessarily she, just a grooming relationship. No, or no, that's right. You see why she might have made those choices at that time. And it's also a very much an explores whether two artists can live together or whether one will dominate and in this case there was that dominant personality, the impact that that has. And it was inspired by... Kylie Needham said she was fascinated by... 
a few things. One was the relationship with Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes and another was Lucian Freud and Celia Paul. So really interesting exploration of those issues. So that was Girl in a Pink Dress by Kylie Needham. Uh, Okay, well, in terms of criteria for my best books, because, yeah, again, I had also a list of really good books that I read. I think there weren't maybe, you know how sometimes you just have the absolute standouts? I had one of those, but the rest of them were kind of all um, next tier down that I was like, oh, I really enjoyed those, but how am I going to pick between them? And actually the one that I chose was one that I just totally fell into the world. It's a first in a trilogy. It's not my usual kind of thing. It's called The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison and it is high court drama fantasy. Brilliant. What's high court? Well, it's like the kind of Philippa Gregory, like royal drama, political intrigue, there's a murder. So the, the story is about this goblin who is the unloved seventh son I think of this emperor and he has been banished his mother was not one of the favoured wives and so he got sent long ago to this little hovel on the far reaches of the kingdom so he doesn't have any kind of royal upbringing at all someone arrives and says look your father and all of your brothers have been killed in a terrible zeppelin accident and so now you're the emperor (laughs) and so he has to go to the court learn all the courtly manners, figure out all of the different political intrigue and machinations of all the different people at the court. And it's really fun. It, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it could, that sounds quite boring. And he's a goblin. He's a goblin. Are they all goblins? Uh, no, he's half goblin, so he's... <laughs> So, you know, there's that kind of stereotypical fantasy. The goblin is the less favoured race. And it's just really funny. It whips along. It feels like a fresh take on, even though she wrote it since Tolkien, it feels more modern. Fantasy. It's fantasy. But I think you could read it if you really enjoyed, yeah, any kind of royal political drama or just sagas. And there's the murder of his father and all of his brothers that he then starts investigating because he's obviously like, well, if someone killed them, why won't they kill me? So yeah, he's keeping himself alive. He's learning all of these court manners, but because he hasn't grown up in the court, he's actually got a lot more empathy than a lot of the other courtesans. So yeah, I absolutely fell into the world. I really loved it. Um, there's a fourth one coming out soon. And this is number one. Oh, okay. So and they're, they're kind of a loose trilogy. It's all set in the same world. In this one, there's an advisor who comes to help him. Um, they become quite close, and he goes off and solves a crime in the next one. They're a real blend of different genres. Yeah, I think lots of people would like them, even if you're not usually a fantasy reader, because I think the world building is great, but it's not necessarily imperative. Yeah. It's called the Goblin Emperor. I don't know if I'll. Pick it's not that for up. you. <laughs> I have seen a lot of publicity about Fourth Wing, the Fourth Wing. Yeah, me too. I've been hearing lots about it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about the story or whether it's for me, but it is taking off. People are loving it. Yes, no, it's dragons. That's all right. I know. If you're into dragons or goblins, there's some recommendations. Well, the next one I'll do by Amanda is The Fraud by Zadie Smith, and this has been on my radar, and I've. I might even have it somewhere, but I haven't read it yet. So I'm really keen to, now that I've heard Amanda's review. And Amanda said she listened to this on audiobook and it's narrated by Zadie Smith and her voice is really deep and resonant and contributed to Amanda's enjoyment of the book. And I can believe that because Zadie Smith's a jazz singer. So The Fraud is historical fiction and it follows the Tickbourne trial, which captivated England in the 1870s. Sir Roger Tickbourne was thought to have drowned at sea but no one knew for sure. Sir Roger mysteriously appears to lay claim to substantial fortune of his elderly ailing mother. The trial sets out to determine whether this man is Sir Roger as he claims 
or an imposter. The book examines truth and fiction, the relationship between Jamaica and England, colonisation, authenticity and fraudulence. The story itself is fascinating, the characters are superbly drawn and on top of that, Smith's wit is outstanding. Amanda said she often finds it, found herself laughing out loud. Well, that's a big rap and I, that makes me want to read the book and probably on audio. I think that sounds yeah. like the best way to do it. Yeah. So that's The Fraud by Zadie Smith, which I know many of our listeners will have heard of or read. And then shall I do my next one? So it is The Late Americans by Brandon Taylor and he wrote Real Life, which was shortlisted for the Booker Prize a few years ago, mm. which I also loved. And then I think he had a series of short stories, maybe Filthy, Filthy animals. animals, which were great. And then this is his latest novel. It's set in the, a university town, possibly based on Iowa, in the Midwest and centres around a group of friends in their 20s. One of them's a dancer or former dancer, one's a banker, one's a poet or studying poetry and fiction. They are starting out on their careers and if not still studying, some of them are still studying I think. And I've forgotten their names, I apologise because it was a while ago when, since I read it. But I really loved this. The reason I've put it in my top three is that it was a book I kept wanting to get back to. There's something about Brandon Taylor's writing that's really clean, really comforting and I was happy to keep going back to that world and hang out with the characters. You feel as if you're hanging out with them. I think that was the – and something about a university town, I think, that even though I don't like campus novels. It's like a training ground to be an adult. Most yeah. of the people you're reading about are kind of just trying things on, personalities and affairs. And it's still fun and it's not mm. – people aren't – They don't have real lives yet. The, yeah, the clean prose, it's that intimate fly-on-the-wall look at characters and I was really invested in them. I cared what happened to them and that's what created the tension for mm. me. That's what made me keep wanting to turn the page. I loved the relay style where one character would finish their section and then it would pass on to the next character's point of view. It was really thoughtfully written, very on point and it just is a beautiful look at relationships and the dynamics and also the, a wider look at the state of our society. So that was The Late Americans by Brandon Taylor. Well, my final re best read of the year is uh, one called Loot by Tanya James and this is set in the 1890s in India. So it starts with a young boy called Abbas in Mysore and he is a apprentice woodworker to his father who is the town carpenter and he makes these incredible little toys very intricately made toys out of wood for his siblings. The Tipu Sultan, who was the leader at the time, sees one and thinks I'd like one of those for my children. But of course, it's going to be on a much grander scale. So Abbas goes off to live in Srirangapatnam, which is where the Sultan um, had his palace, starts working with a French clockmaker to make this tiger which is eating a British soldier and it will have a bellow um, kind of operated by air and clockwork. It will move up and down and kind of be quite a spectacle. And the tiger actually exists but no one knows who made it. So Tanya James has kind of constructed this tale around this object which I love stories like that. Mm. So it's really rich historical fiction. Um, and then in the late 1890s when he's been there for a few years working on this project, the British India Company invade and there's the terrible massacre of Sarai 
Rangapatnam and his whole life is upended. So then you follow him for another 10 or 15 years as he seeks a new identity, I guess, or a new place for himself in the world because his old world has been absolutely desecrated. So, yeah, it's really rich. It reminded me of Maggie O'Farrell and um, Hilary Mantel, that kind of just very visceral um, historical fiction where you get all the smells and sounds and you really imagine yourself into this world that obviously doesn't exist anymore. So it's always an incredible feat of imagination, I think, if an author can do that and take you with them. And then the characters are just so lovely. So the French clockmaker has his own story. Abbas meets a young woman in the palace that he kind of harbours a yearning for. And so you follow all these characters as they go on about their lives. So, yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's probably my favourite read of the year. Wow. Yeah, just one of those books that you can totally sink into. And I came to it with no expectations as well, which is always fun when you kind of just pick up a book on the strength of the cover, which has is black with a picture of this amazing tiger on it. And then I just dived right in. So I was looking at a book that is not the loot because I was think I was going to say after the way you described it, it sounded quite rich and long. And mm. this other book on your table is quite <laughs> short. But so you don't have loot with you. No, so I don't know. That's book. for our holiday. Hol- yes, yep. I see, I see. Well, I'll, let me do the last one of Amanda's. So, sorry, that was Loot by... Tanya James. Tanya James. Fantastic. And Amanda also recommended Black Narcissus by Ruma Godden. So, Ruma Godden was an English author who spent many years living in India. So, we're doing another tie-in, Annie. She's the author of over 60 books for adults and children, many of which were adapted for film. Black Narcissus was written in 1990, sorry, 1939. So we're going back in time a bit. It's about a group of Anglican nuns who set out to establish a convent, including a school for girls and a health clinic for children in northern India. The convent is situated in a forbidding, isolated place. The nuns are challenged by the environment. They suffer headaches due to the altitude and stomach upsets and there's a mysterious aura about the place which affects them psychologically. The nuns fervently believe they are there to do God's work or good work but do the locals want to be taught or interfered with? Given the book was written in 1939... Probing that question is insightful for its time. Mr Dean is the British agent of the local general who donated the palace where the convent is set up. Dean is a handsome, charismatic but clearly damaged man. Oh, that's a shame. I was getting excited there. (laughs) Handsome and charismatic. He's brash and sarcastic towards the nuns. Oh, Mr Dean, that's not very nice. The nuns try to have nothing to do with him but he's indispensable for getting anything done. So there's an uneasy coexistence and then the sister superior finds that she's drawn to Dean and repressed memories of her troubled past arise. We watch the physical and mental health of the nuns deteriorate and Godden builds tension exquisitely to a dramatic climax. So Amanda says it's a page turner and in 2020, Amanda Co adapted Black Narcissus to a three-part miniseries and that was also superb and easy to binge. So that was Black Narcissus by Rumor Godden, which I haven't read, but I'm quite intrigued. So we've got an India theme as well now. Now we might move on. That's our top nine books of the year. And since we're on nine, I feel to make it a round number. I have to mention, (laughs) Annie's just rolling her eyes, I have to mention that I read for the first time this year, but it's not a 2023 release, Middle March by George Eliot, and that was definitely in my top books of the year. Yeah, I remember you loving that while you were reading it. Amazing, and I kept wanting to go back to it. I was in the world 
it was really witty. It was, I think, way ahead of its time in terms of its portraits of mar- various marriages and relationships and gender dynamics. We loved it. We did it for the Adelaide Writers Week book club and I think you, most of us from memory really loved it. Um, and it's really long but sometimes those books, I think you feel like you've lived this whole life mm. with the characters. You've been, to, you've been in the town. It transports you. So Middlemarch won't be news to anybody but... There you are. So that was our top 10 books of the year. Thank you, Amanda, for sending yours in as well. And next up, we'll be doing our top holiday reads. Indeed. I will. I must just mention, while Otto's here, his favourite read of the year was um, What the Ladybird Heard by Julia Donaldson, which I could recite to you now, if you like, off the top of my head. (laughs) We'll do that off air. But But it is great fun. If anyone's got a six-month-old baby... That is a fun read. Very good choice, Otto. Very good. What the Ladybird Heard. I think these children's classics are classics for a reason, Mm. aren't they? Excellent. Well, that could be another episode in itself, I think. We could do all (laughs) the baby books. But that's it for today. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at Books on the Go, email us at Books on the Go podcast at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram at A Bailey Karras. And Annie is at Mr. Underscore Annie. See you next week. Bye for now.